Guys, what is happening? You're listening to Josh Talks. It's an absolute pleasure to bring today's podcast with you. Last week I recorded with Nate the Great Markhart. We talk about his love for Jesus, which I think is the most important thing to announce at the start of this podcast. We talk about God's promise on his life. If you want to hear more about that, make sure you're listening because I don't want to go into too more, too much more and ruin it for you. Um, we then talk about some of the people that he has fought. You know, he has fought so many greats. He fought Anderson Silva. He has fought Chael Sonnen. He beat Tyrone Woodley for the title. He has fought Victor Belfort. He has fought C.B. Dalloway. He has fought Brad Tavares. He has fought Hector Lombard. Jake Ellenberger. The list goes on. He has fought absolutely everybody. And this week he is back. This week he's fighting a brave. He's fighting one of the fellows off the UFC Contender Series. So make sure you're tuning in. I think you can watch that, if I'm not mistaken, on the UFC Fight Pass. So this episode's going to be an absolute cracker, and I know for a fact you're all going to really enjoy it. If you enjoy the story, make sure you're sharing it with your friends, your family, share it on social media, and help spread Nate's story. Because he's a real good guy, we talk about his charity work, we talk about the work he's doing over in the Middle East, and he, he talks about his story, um, and I'll go into it briefly, I'm not going to talk about it too much, but he talks about like people making bricks, and they're in so much debt, and the only way that they can get out of debt is making these bricks, and they're basically slaves, essentially, because of the debt. And the people the people who they're working for, they, they give them food, they give them shelter, but they added on to this amount of debt, and, and Nate's going over there, and he's trying to pay some of the debt off to give these families, to give these kids a better life. And he's sharing a website in the next coming weeks, and I'm going to release the link for that. And hopefully, we, we, us over here in Northern Ireland, we can give a wee bit of support, a wee bit of help, and we can sort of help grow his ministry. The week after that, we were talking to Raquel Pennington. We talk about her career. One of the things that we talk about in her career was her fight against Amanda Nunes. She talks about before her fight, she was in a bad, she was in a bad accident and she broke her leg and she did nerve damage. She talks about how she still has the nerve damage now. But I think it was in the opening first round of the Amanda Nunes fight. Amanda threw a leg kick and in her own words, it felt like her leg re broke again. So she went into survival mode. And obviously, as we know, she lost that fight. But she explains why she lost it. We then talk about USADA. We talk about how USADA banned her for six months. But in my in my opinion, the ban was an absolute farce. Because one, the doctor prescribed her something. Two, she self-submitted. She wasn't trying to cheat. And then when they actually did her bloods, it was a microdose. It would have been of no benefit to her in the octagon. So again, that ban was an absolute joke. And then we'll move past that. And we talk about her fight coming up in the next couple, I think it's in a few weeks. I think it may be September. I need to double check for you. Obviously, I'll be sharing that on my social media. The week after, we have George Hickman. George Hickman, you'll know him from Tiger Muay Thai. He has trained so many champions. It's going to be a really great episode. I think recently he just shared a picture of him and Volkanovski at the UFC Performance Center. I think at the minute, Tiger Muay Thai maybe has three or four world champions. Um, just to name a few, they have they have Peter Yan. He lost the title obviously against Aljo, but in my opinion, he is still the champion because it was under weird circumstances. It was under a, a, an illegal knee that basically he lost the title over, and Aljo wasn't able to continue. You then have Shevchenko. He is completely dominated at the minute. Obviously Volkanovski. There are so many great fighters out of that gym, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about his work. We're going to talk about his brother. We're going to talk about so, so much. We'll maybe talk about John Hutchinson. We're going to talk about his relationship with Sean Cobra. It's going to be a great episode. So make sure you're following me on social media. 
I recently started a TikTok there, um, and that was really just to share videos, to share highlights of, of the podcast, and sort of give you a wee feel of, of what I'm seeing and what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis with the podcast. So I hope you're all listening. Make sure you're following. Cheers. Enjoy. Welcome to Josh Thomas. Well, Ned, it's great to, great to have you on. How are you today? I'm doing great. How about you? Oh, I'm doing really well. Even better now talking to yourself. So it's going good. So last time I was talking to you, you were over in Thailand for a week. Is that right? Yeah, I was. I was there for, I think, three or four weeks. So were you, were you training in Tiger Muay Thai then? Yes. Uh, would you know any of the guys like uh, John Hutchinson and uh, Coach Cobra, Sean? Uh, J- John, I'm guessing is the boxing coach, Johnny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And who, who's the other guy? Sean Cobra. Sean, uh, was he jujitsu? Uh, no, so he would be the strength and conditioning coach over there, uh, Australian. Okay. okay, I think I met him, but I didn't, I didn't get to work with him. See, I, I had John on the podcast, I'd say it was a couple of months ago, but he's he's back. He's from where I'm from, Ireland. Okay. So he, he's a real nice fellow. He's, he's a good guy. Oh, nice. So tell me about how did your journey start? Have you always had an interest in MMA, like from childhood, or how did that come about? Yeah. Yes. I mean, <clears throat> I've always, well, since I was a little kid, I loved wrestling and boxing and you know, ninjas and all that kind of stuff. And I always wanted to do like karate or boxing, but I was never able to convince my parents to allow me to do it. So I played other sports growing up. I played soccer and basketball were my main two sports. And, uh, but once I was 16 years old, I was able to get a job and pay for it myself. So I started training at the age of 16 and I was, I was really small, and I remember actually the first time I saw the UFC, uh, you know, I watched Hoist Gracie, who was able to beat guys much bigger than himself. So that's what really drew me to, to mixed martial arts, to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, and <clears throat> I started at a gym that, that taught ground fighting and stand-up fighting. So. so I have to ask you, as for the listeners in Northern Ireland, what position did you play in soccer? Uh, I I play, played uh, the field. I played either striker or defender. I, not midfield, but like either uh, yeah. a shooter or all the way in the back a defender. Super. I think the very first time. So back back in Northern Ireland, normally the UFC comes on in the middle of the night. So you're talking about four or five a.m. or three a.m. Sorry for a main card to start. Uh, the main event normally starts about five five six a.m. But I remember the first fight that I ever saw was Chael Sonnen versus Anderson Silva. Oh right. wow! And that's that's what sort of got me into MMA and sort of sort of following it. Yeah. And I know that you you fought both of those fellas. Yeah. You're a real pioneer of the sport. So how did when did you decide that it was time to sort of turn pro? Did you just turn pro straight away, or was there amateur fights or? Yeah, I mean, back when I started there, 
there wasn't like, uh, you know, it was pretty raw. There were even, I mean, uh, there were even like no gloves when I first started. Uh, but then soon after I was training, they added the gloves and things like that. So, uh, <clears throat> so I think my first couple of fights were like gym fights. And then from there, it was pretty much like pro, but, uh, it, you know, back then, like I said, the guys were pretty raw. It was more like amateur fighting for, for money, but, uh, you know, my, my my first like seven eight fights were kind of like that. And then obviously you moved over to Japan. Well, you you started fighting over in Japan. How did that all come about? Yeah, well, so when when I uh, when I start, started fighting, I had you know like seven or eight fights and ended up fighting in a tournament. Uh, it was called the Boss Rutten Invitational. And the winner used to go to the UFC. So I fought in that tournament. I won the tournament. And that year, the, the UFC promoter wasn't there. And so, but there was a guy from, uh, a representative from Japan, from Pancrase, that was there. And he asked if I wanted to fight over in Japan. So I was pretty excited. So when you were over in Japan, was that, was that like full-time? Was that your full-time job? Or were you also doing other things as well? Yeah, pretty much. I, I quit my job in America to, to go train over there. So, I mean, actually, well, first I had a fight over there and it was my first loss. And I came back and had a couple more fights and then was offered to fight in the tournament in Japan for the first middleweight belt in Pancrase. And so, uh, you know, I had a decent job at the time, but that was my dream was to pursue fighting. So uh, I quit it and moved over there and yeah that was my pretty much from that point on in my life it was full-time what were you doing if you don't mind me asking i was doing uh customer support like on the phone at a at a phone company at a wireless phone company and then i was just over to japan and then were you flying over to japan for each fight while training back in america or did you just move over there full time Usually, well, so I did, uh, I probably spent, okay, so I fought, I fought there from 2000, or no, from 1999 until 2005, I think was my last fight. And uh, I probably spent a total of a year over there, total. So most of the time it was, I'd fly there and fly back, but there were several times where I would stay one, two, or three months at a time. I was watching... A video of yourself today sorry it wasn't a video it was audio and i don't know if it was in a church and you were talking about going over i think it was over in the thailand and you were given out bibles etc and new mm -hmm. testaments was that over in tiger muay thai or was that the recent trip it was the same yeah it was that trip uh yeah actually when, when i was fighting over in japan i uh you know i grew up in a christian family but i wasn't I wasn't following the Lord. And uh, so I, I would have considered myself Christian, but actually now reading the Bible and understanding what true faith is, uh, I really didn't have faith. I, I really wasn't a Christian uh, until 2013. So, um, so, but yeah, my most recent trip over to, to Thailand, uh, I brought 
I think like 50 New Testaments or 50 like uh, Gospel of John and the Book of Romans. And I bought some New Testaments as well. And it was pretty cool actually to be able to hand those out. Sure. How, how did you find the people over in Thailand? Would you, or would you say that they had like an understanding of what a Christian was, et cetera, or was it very much a new thing? Yeah, very, very new. Um, and you know, it wasn't, uh, their, their culture is not the, the Thai culture is not something I've really studied uh in super in depth of course i I've, I've studied kind of all religions and studied uh uh different cultures and things like that but uh yeah i mean in thailand it's, it's more buddhist culture and buddhist practices and things like that so uh the the people in general they don't they don't have that same base as they do in kind of like the western cultures yeah i found it the exact same so when i was 17 18 i, I went on a trip to my diverse base camp i was with the church just to raise money mm-hmm. and uh so i went over there and we spent quite a, a bit of time over in nepal and mm-hmm. it was it was very much the same thing as what what you're explaining you know it's uh, very very buddhist you can see all the big shrines you can see uh the wall art is, is completely different than anything that you'd ever see over here. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, right? Like the, the challenges are different. Uh, in the Western culture, you have to battle, people have already heard the gospel a million times and they're, they're either say they don't believe it or they say they do, but they don't really, they don't follow it, kind of like I was. Uh, so you have those challenges in, in our cultures, but then in those cultures, it's like their worldview, their, you know, they started a completely different worldview. So it's very, very challenging. Believe it or not, when I went over to Kenya as well, I lived in Kenya for three, four months, the same thing. I was living with uh, two missionaries over there. Um, my church had built like a sanctuary for disabled children. But Kenya was very, very Western. And, and basically the reason for that was because of the amount of missionaries over the course of say a hundred years that were from America, that were from Great Britain, that went over there and planted churches. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it, it's one of those things. What I found probably the biggest challenge was was sort of like like you were saying over here. The biggest problem is you know a lot of people would say that they that they were Christians, mm-hmm. but their lifestyle was maybe the complete opposite and it was the same thing over there and then there was a lot of real crazy beliefs as well obviously because of some of the like the tribal beliefs and the culture so the sanctuary had to be opened up for disabled children because there was like a real stigma around having a child with disability and they would have viewed it as that that child was cursed by god you know that that's the sort of that's what they had mm-hmm so I was going yeah. around trying to change that perspective. Yeah. So what, what changed for yourself? Uh, for As far as what? As far as what changed for yourself, where you were going for your life, where you would call yourself a Christian, and what, what was the defining moment that sort of changed oh, it all? Yeah, well, 
basically I lost for the first time in my life. I lost two fights in a row. Well, I, I was fighting in strike force. I won the title. And uh, then I think six months or so later, I lost the title. And it was like, I felt like all my, my strength had left me like, uh, and then, then I jumped right back in the UFC uh, on a short notice fight and same thing. Like I was just, uh, I lost again and I got really angry and uh, basically, you know, said I didn't believe in God anymore. And, and, uh, and then, but over time realized that that was a stupid thing to say that I was just, I was just angry at my situation and, you know, just there's a series of events that happen and basically just came to the point where I realized that my career had become my God and, and I wasn't following God. And I, so I, you know, I, uh, I surrendered my life basically at that point. And, uh, you know, that I, <clears throat> there were things in my life that I, struggled with all my life that just never would change like my anger uh, or my lust and these things just were plaguing my life and and uh, I asked God you know I just said like God I, I want to follow you but I can't I have you know I can't do it can you just change me and it was that was one of the first times I felt like I heard in my spirit, I heard him just say, of course I can. And, and it was like, right at that moment, those things that were plaguing me were gone. And uh, not that I've never gotten angry after that or something, but, but the, just the, the constant anger that I felt in my heart or the way I would uh, lash out or, or the, the way I would bottle up my anger, things like this. I, uh, from that day on, I was a changed person. The, the lust, the anger, idolatry, greed, whatever, all, all these things that um, that I chased. And, yeah, so that was a very powerful thing that happened in my life. So was that after the, the Woodley fight then after that? Or, or what sort of time frame was that? It was, yeah, right. So it was the next year, 2013. So when I fought Woodley, then... I lost to Safany and then lost to Ellenberger. And that's when it happened. So for people listening at home, you know, obviously you had the two losses and that was, um, that, that led to a big change in your life. And it led to a lot of questions as well for yourself, like question whether, you know, God was real or going through all those sort of emotions. So see now looking back on it, what advice could you give to people listening? Um, I mean, the first thing is that, I mean, this is something that I teach now, like basically what the Bible says about salvation, that first of all, salvation isn't simply uh, forgiveness of sin so we can go to heaven. That's that's not what it is. Jesus didn't only die so to 
to forgive us. Uh, he, he, he died, yes, to forgive us, but to bring us back into relationship with God. So it starts with that, with the relationship. The other part of the gospel is that I think is left out a lot is the, the fact that we are to be a new creation. God, <clears throat> like once, once someone believes, they receive the Holy Spirit and the, the Holy Spirit is the one that, that changes you, that makes you a new creation. And he gives you the power over sin, right? The Romans 6 says we're set free from sin. Uh, and, you know, I think I grew up hearing that you're a sinner, even though you're a Christian. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that we're set free from sin. It says we're saints, actually. And, you know, I know that there's disagreement on uh, this topic specifically, but I, I strongly believe that that anywhere in the Bible where people get that Christians are considered sinners is actually a misinterpretation of the text. Uh, you know, uh, first, uh, first John chapter one, that's one spot. Uh, Romans seven would be another spot. These are have very simple, easy explanations. Uh, but I believe the Bible clearly teaches that anyone in Christ is a new creation, that old things have passed away. The new person has come. They're a new person. They're a new creation with a new spirit, a new desire, like new desires, uh, set free from sin, called to a holy life, called to be righteous. And not only that, uh, the book of First John says that the one who is the one who lives righteously is righteous, is the actual true believer. So, I mean, that's that's the main thing. I mean, of course, there's a ton of other things I would uh, give advice to people. But um, and, you know, kind of like I said, like. I tried to fight these things, I tried to live. I tried to kind of chase after the world. And be a Christian at the same time. Uh, but these two are uh, at at odds with each other. You can't do both. You can't. It's impossible. You can't serve two masters, as Jesus says. So if, if you're actually chasing after the world, success, money, things like that, you're actually you, you're an enemy of God is what uh, what the Bible says. Right. So whoever desires to make himself a friend of the world is an enemy to God. So uh, we. Christians need to be separate. They need to turn their attentions and their desires away from the world and put them on Jesus. And he's the one that gives you the power. The, the Holy Spirit's real. It's a real thing. Like, that was another thing. I always thought growing up in church and hearing about the Holy Spirit that it was just, yeah, you know, Christians have the Holy Spirit. And... <laughs> I don't know. It's like, it was just this idea you had to believe, but the Holy spirit is real and he actually changes people. He can set you free in a second. It doesn't have to take a lifetime to be, to overcome something. And in fact, the Bible says we've already overcome. So, uh, so I mean, we need, we do need to believe these things, but then we also need to live them out. We need to, I think there's power in the faith of like, yeah, God can change me. And so if I have a, this evil desire, it's a temptation. The Bible says no temptation, 
that that it's uh, every temptation is common. Like every there's no temptation that God is going to allow to us, except that He'll give us a way out uh, to you know to escape a way of escape from the temptation. So, um, but God is the one that gives us the power to do that. There's there's so much that that you said there to unpack and. I think one of one of the one of the biggest things I think is as a Christian is you know there's there's so many Christians out there who go, go go through church and they just have this condemnation over their life. You know, I think there's there's always a view that we serve an angry God. You know, mm-hmm. that there's that like He wants to punish us, but when that's not the case at all, you know, God's punishment was on the cross. That was it. That was it dealt with. And mm-hmm. it, it's realizing that yes, what what you're saying is. You know, we've become a new creation, but it's when we fall, when we slip up, when we make mistakes, because we are still human, when we make mistakes, that we still have that forgiveness. You know, nothing changes between us and God. And I think a lot of people need to realize that. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And uh, I think it depends, like, on your on your upbringing, right? You're going to – people grow up on both sides of the – of that – cliff so to speak it's like uh it's like uh the the gospel is right in the center but you can fall hyper grace or like you're saying like angry god and and uh both of those are incorrect and that's that's one of the basic teachings is that that we are forgiven through jesus's blood Mm -hmm. and that not only that that god sees us as righteous and so we truly need to believe that in order to live righteously. So if you, if you're always, uh, if you like mess up and sin or, you know, say something you weren't supposed to say or, or whatever, and then you feel that condemnation, then you hide from God. Well, that's, that's actually, you're going the wrong direction. You need to bring that to God and let, allow him to change your mind, to change your actions. And, uh, you're, but you're exactly right. The, the Bible, uh, it's, <clears throat> if, um, and I would say, I would put it this way, not when we sin, but if, because the Bible never condemns the Christian to sin. Like you don't have to sin, but it does say, if we sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's, where God sees us as righteous, just like he sees Jesus as righteous. Yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree anymore. Um, just an example from my own life. Like I remember going through church and going up through church and like I was saved when I was 12, 13 years old, but I always had this thought in my head. Well, what if, you know, what if I'm not really forgiven? You know, and I had that, I carried with me for, for so, so long. And I remember this really started to get me to me when I was like 17, 18 years old. And mm-hmm. I was still, still a Christian. I'm still praying, still reading my Bible, but just had this real fear and a real anxious feeling on my life. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to my family about it. I was talking to pastors about it and they were all giving me wonderful advice, great advice. But for some reason, I just couldn't accept it. Mm. And there was one of the times where I was working in a, a supermarket 
I was working in the supermarket and I was meant to be preaching. I was meant to be preaching that night in the wee youth group that I was at. Okay. And sorry, I left a bit out of this story. I left a bit out. So a couple of days before that, I wrote myself a sermon, really. I wrote myself just something down out of the Bible. I wrote it down and expanded on it. And the reason for that was I wanted to help myself. So I wanted to try and make myself feel better. And uh, as soon as I finished writing, I put the pen down and I got a phone call straight away. Josh, do you want to bring a word this Saturday? Great, I'll do that. I then get to my work on the Saturday Mm -hmm. and just started to feel really guilty. And I I would say I was being spiritually attacked. That's what I would say. Mm -hmm. And I was just in work. And this, I don't, I'm not a big fan of music or it's just, it's just something that's not really appealing to me, but this hymn just kept repeating itself in my head. And it was, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there, the one who has made an end to my sin. Mm-hmm. And that started to bring me so much confidence that I was like, do you know what? I don't need to feel this way because Jesus is already, Jesus already dealt with it. Why am I beating myself up when it's been mm-hmm. dealt with? So I felt, went, preached the sermon and a few weeks passed and I started feeling this guilty feeling on my life again. And I always asked, I always asked God, God, will you take this away from me? Will you remove this from me? Will you do this? Will you do that? And it never happened. I was like, what is going on here? And I remember praying at the back of the church and I changed my prayer. I don't know why I changed my prayer, but I changed it. And I says, Lord, I don't really know what's going on right now, but I'm just going to trust you. Mm-hmm. And see, as soon as I said those words, it just left. See all the anxious feeling. Right. <laughs> it, it, it just left. It was gone. And see, from that, day, from that day, I haven't felt anxious. I haven't had any fear. And now I've been on this journey of continually learning and telling other people who have maybe gone through the same thing as I have and just tell them, do you know what? You're not serving an angry God. You've got Jesus. You know, he's mm. happy. He loves you. And, and that's, that's what I've been going through. That, it completely changed. See that one night, it changed my perspective on everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Because, yeah, you see it's the God... God works, God's grace works through faith, right? That we're mm-hmm. saved by grace through faith. And that's basically what you, what you activated was the, you, through your faith, through your trusting. That's exactly, that's what I'm saying. There's, there's power in faith because God chose it that way. It's not because my faith of, of myself or in myself. It's no, when we believe the things that are true, God gives grace there and he gives power, right? Power. So. Yeah. It's, awesome. it's, it's unbelievable. And, and like, like what you're saying, you know, there's, there's, there's so much power in just believing in Jesus' finished work. There was so mm. much power in just trusting in that and believing in that. And I'm sure your life is a great example of that. So tell us a wee bit about how your life then progressed when you made that decision. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's been a crazy story since then, actually. My life completely changed. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's just so. Well, first thing, I mean, I was ready to retire. I, I was like, well, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to fight anymore because I, you know, I, I want to do what God wants for me. Um, but God what I thought was clearly, I thought he 
clearly called me back to fighting right at that moment, basically right when I was saying, I'm done fighting. I'm going to, you know, do something, just open up a small business and live a humble life or whatever. And, um, uh, yeah, I believe God called me back. So, and then, but, but our lives, like as a family, it completely changed us. We, um, my, my wife was a believer, but, you know, we had a lot of the world in our lives, like the TV shows, the music that we listened to, um, cer- certain things that we, that we did for fun, recreation, whatever. Uh, I mean, j- and just the focus of our family. Like Jesus was like, we went to church on Sundays and I would teach my little girl at the time. I would teach her Bible stories and, and say prayers with her and stuff, but that was kind of the extent of it. But from, from that day forward, our life changed. Like I threw out all my old music, movies, television shows. I stopped watching. I stopped. I, I realized how much the world have, had affected my thinking, how much it affected my mouth and my heart and my spirit, how much, uh, you know, just how, how it was activating or putting lust and anger and, and idolatry into my heart. So it's like the things I was consuming, I was becoming those things. So again, music, television, uh, podcasts, whatever, you know, so I, I cut all that out. Uh, I didn't watch anything or listen to anything that wasn't Christian or wasn't based in the Bible. And I started, uh, eventually I started reading the Bible. Well, I mean, I started writing the Bible right away, but I was, reading it incorrectly, it kind of just uh, sporadically choosing spots to go to. And I went through a big trial and realized God showed me that like how to read his word is in context. So I started Genesis one and read all the way straight through to revelation. And, uh, and, you know, that's been a huge part of my life. That's like a gift. I believe God's really given me is uh, understanding his word and being able to teach his word and, and things like that. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, like from day one, I, I, uh, I really was zealous for the Lord and haven't lost any steam at all. Like um, at the, at Sanford, I teach a Bible study every week with the guys there. Um, I just, this is a really cool thing. We were talking about the missionary stuff. I was thinking about it. I just went to Pakistan this year and uh, their culture is really interesting, especially because it's 99% Muslim, but then you have a a small amount of Christians, but all the Christians are literally, I mean, they don't, they don't even go to church. Most of them, they're, they're just kind of like, yeah, my great, great, great grandfather was a Christian. So I'm Christian kind of like that. And um, so, I mean, it had an amazing, miraculous mission trip out there. And now I'm doing ministries, setting up and uh, have set up a ministry over there. The website should launch here this week or next week. Uh, I want it to launch before my fight, but it's going to be exodusglobalministries.com or .org. Either one should take you there. And, uh, yeah, we're like building schools. Uh, Christian schools were doing cru- gospel crusades over there. 
uh, and just taking care of the, the poor people over there because there are people that are enslaved and they're literally making bricks. And they're, uh, you know, we came up with the name because uh, I was preaching the gospel in this one village. And then we went, uh, the, the guy I was with, he took me to the brick kiln where there, where people were making bricks and it was on a Sunday and it, and, uh, he's like, these people couldn't make it because they're, they wouldn't make their quota of bricks. And so straight out of the book of Exodus. And, uh, and I, I mean, I saw a six year old girl making bricks. I saw eight year old boy, 11 year old boy. And, uh, it just put me to tears and, uh, I knew I had to do something like God put this, uh, the, the verse on my heart that says anyone who sees uh, or anyone who has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and doesn't uh, help him. Like, how does the love of God live in him? And I was just like, I started crying. I was like, man, I have to do some, something for these people. So, uh, so yeah, we've been, I've been working hard on that and uh, yeah, just really just pursuing what God has for me. And uh, I know it all starts with just me and him uh, spending time with him in prayer, in worship, in studying his word, uh, my family, raising my kids to be followers of Jesus, making sure, you know, um, following Jesus with my wife and with, with our kids. And, uh, friends, family at the gym. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it just goes from there. Like I, I, uh, I love telling people about Jesus because not because I have to, but because that's my passion. He is my passion. So, and I think if, if you're a Christian, if you, if you really understand what God has done, then that's who you are as a witness. And it, if you don't, then ask him. I believe he'll show you. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing. Like, God, we have a living God that will actually listen to our prayers and answer our prayers. And uh, that's what I mean. Like, the Holy Spirit is alive. He speaks to us and he guides us. So tell me a wee bit more about Exodus. Tell me about this website. What is the goal? What's the purpose? Yeah, so the the website is, uh, I mean, like I said, it's not quite up yet. Uh, it might be by the time you air this. I, I'm, I'm not sure, but it's, uh, um, so it's like, a, it's similar to like a Compassion International in that a lot of our focus is on the children because, uh, well, number one, making disciples and who better to make a disciple out of than a child, you know, to raise them up in the Lord. So, but, but also uh, these people. So we went over and and preached to 10,000 people and and also in multiple villages on top of that. And uh, we, I mean, we had a huge conversion rate. Like I would guess at the crusade, maybe 90%. And, uh, in the, in the, in the villages, at least 50%. And I think 
a lot of the other people considered themselves Christian already kind of thing. So, uh, so yeah, so, um, basically the, because they're enslaved, they're, they're economic slaves. They, they owe money to these brick kiln owners because of some loan that they got when they got medical issues or whatever, and they had to take a loan. So they, they were poor to start with. So they go work for these brick, brick kiln owners and they're, they're charged interest on their loans and they think they're going to pay these loans off after so many years, but then, but they don't, these, they're, they're uneducated. So they don't understand about interest. They also are, if anything comes up, like if they don't have enough, food, the, the brick kiln owner will give them food. If they don't have medical, uh, the brick kiln owner may or may not give them medical stuff, but either way, they're adding it onto their loan. And so then either the people figure out this and then they go hungry and they, you know, they go, they get sick or uh, have horrible things happen and don't go to the doctor. Like this little girl I, I saw fell in the fire and her whole arm was just blistered and charred okay. black. And that happened the night before and she had zero medical treatment. And, uh, and you know, they didn't have the money and it was normal. It was like a normal thing. Yeah. So we're like, we're, you know, we're, we're helping in that way. We're giving them the things they need, food and medical attention. Uh, but, but really what they need is to get out of this cycle and it's generational. Um, people are born into this. These kids are grown up, not going to school. They're working at brick kilns and they don't, in the villages, they don't have like a public school. Uh, so there's, there's no education available for them. The literacy rate is, I forget, like maybe 40% or something in Pakistan. So even outside the villages, a lot of people don't read. Uh, but in the villages, like nobody read, they can't read or write or do basic math. And so it's, they, they need education that the kids need schools. Uh, and, and that's going to help them out of this cycle of poverty. Um, and there, you know, there's a lot of other stuff that we're doing over there and that we're planning. Uh, we see a need right now for some <clears throat> children homes because, uh, you know, because we, we found orphans uh, that are kind of being passed around or whatever their issue is. And, and so we, we want to find either couples who aren't able to have children who are, you know, Christian couples that are going to be able to raise the kids in Jesus and, uh, or, you know, like uh, widows, things like that. And, and, pair them together with children's children and start homes. And of course these children will be able to go to the schools that we're running. And uh, yeah, I mean, and, and we have, we want to do more crusades. Uh, like I said, Pakistan is 99% Muslim. Uh, at the crusade, I mean, there were so many Muslims that gave their life to Jesus and it's funny because uh, over there it's like uh, 
evangelizing or proselytizing is illegal, but you're like Christianity is Christianity is legal, but proselytizing is illegal. So if you have a crusade, it has to be like a church thing. But then of course, uh, we just invite everybody and then, uh, you know, the, the Muslims come and I guess actually a lot of the Muslims will hear that people have been healed at these meetings and they'll come for that. And of course they end up getting saved. So. Fantastic. What you were saying there, I just have a question about it is you were talking about how people have debt. Mm-hmm. What sort of, what sort of debt are we talking about? Are we talking about thousands? What, what is it? Yeah. Good question. So it'll be like, uh, so there, so far we've set, two families free from their debt the the first family and they were the 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 debt is usually between 500 and 1500 dollars uh but the two families we set free one of them was 1500 and one of them was like 2000 um because those were actually the families uh that had the little girl and the little boys had four little boys all working and they weren't able to come to the to the meeting and so uh, we bought those families out of their debt and we started, uh, we taught them like a <clears throat> fruit resale business. So they'd go into town, they'd buy fruit and then they resell it in the villages for a, a small profit, but they sell enough and they can make a decent living. And uh, so, yeah, but the, the yeah, 500 to 1500, I think is about average. That's fantastic the work you're doing, but it is, it is crazy when you go over to countries who are maybe third world or their classes are, and the things that you see would, would blow your mind. Like I, I went over to Kenya and I went over to a part called Nyeri and I thought it was going to be very, very warm and very, very hot because it was in Africa. So I went over there during Christmas time and apparently that's their cold time. So I was running about in a pair of shorts and t-shirts and they were all wearing, you know, the big massive coats and Tries them, they're, they're all looking at me like I had, like I had a second head. <laughs> but I, I went over there and I got past and about working with some of the kids. So over there, one of the big problems is a lot of kids leave home um, and they decide to, it's almost like a gang. They join basically a gang of other kids the same age as them. And mm-hmm. the gangs are normally run by older men. And these older men will be very nicely dressed and they'll be wearing suits or whatever, but th- they'll be sort of close to the kids but not really you know so you wouldn't even know that they're part of the same group and these kids are buying glue for 5p that, that's what it works out so I, I don't know like five cents that would probably work out at and and, and us money and, and they would just sniff glue all day and they have uh most of the kids over there from their education all speak two or three languages so they'll speak uh the kenyan national language they'll speak their tribal language and then they'll speak English as well. So they're all they're all quite educated. But as they go through this cycle, when they first move out to the street and say they stay on it for 10 years, but when you get to the 10-year mark, they have given themselves a severe learning disability mm-hmm. because of the glue and the effect it has on the brain. And then with the with obviously with the disabled children, like I was telling you about before, a lot of those children are all hidden away. So when a lot of the kids that were found by the sanctuary, a lot of those kids had worms living in their skin and stuff because, yeah. because they'd been living, you know, like in mud houses and they'd been hidden away. They'd been locked away. The worst story 
that I heard was there was there was a young kid. He was called Kenya. He was 13 years old. Um, his mom and dad decided that they no longer wanted him anymore. So they decided to build a massive fire and they threw him into the fire. And he had a learning disability, but he was up, he was up walking about and stuff. He was still very mobile, but he had a learning disability, but they, they threw him in the fire. And for some reason, the mom had a change of heart. So she went and rescued him from the fire. So the kid was a, a black kid, but all the pigment of his skin had been burnt off um, mm. when you went to see him. So the church ended up adopting him and taking him off the family. And yeah. uh, he, he, he was living there. But like when you went in to see him, you could, you know, just the smell of like burning flesh that you could smell it. And that was the worst thing I'd ever seen over there. So it's fantastic that there's there's people oh, like so that had recently happened. It 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 had recently happened when I went over there. I went over there about five five years ago, maybe. And uh, a lot of the, a lot of the kids. So basically, the biggest problem was there was no healthcare service. So you had kids who had spina bifida, who had all these different illnesses, and because. Why of, did- Kids go to the. Why do they go to these gangs? Like, what is the reason? And why do they, And what are the? What's the relation with those, the older men that, are nicely dressed? Like, what they take care of them, and what do the, What do those guys get from the kids? Like, so, they? they were they were run away from home basically to live on the, the streets with with their friends, and take drugs re- recreationally. Okay, so it's more the drugs are the appeal, or the, the drugs are, the drugs are the appeal. Because the drugs become the appeal because. What one of, when I was talking to one of the kids, what he said was was because it masks the hunger. So they take it and it gets rid of that. And then as far as the older older guys go, it's because a lot of those kids would be begging on the streets. So if they saw someone who they thought was maybe a wee bit had more money, they would beg, they would try and get food, they would try and get whatever, liquids, whatever, but money. Money was what they after, and then obviously the the people who were dressed in nicer attire would get a share of that. So, oh, so what? So that the, I guess the ring you call it the ringleader or whatever they they take a cut of all the money that the kids get. Yeah, from from begging and stuff. Yeah. So that okay. was over in the area. Yeah. And then, uh, oh my. Uh, Someone's in my Zoom just, oh, there we go. You can hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. And uh, what do they do for the kids? They provide them the drugs or what? Or the glue? Or? I, assume, I, I assume that they were providing them drugs. They were probably providing them food. But the, literally, like, the food that they were getting was, you know, like white bread. You know, it yeah. wasn't like they were getting luxurious meals or anything. It was, they were getting white bread. Like when I was going to the shops, like so what I used to do is I used to maybe buy about five or six things of bread, six or five loaves. And I would have went to the kids. The kids would have seen me coming. It would have got a, a bit of a crowd. I then would have started talking to them about Jesus, start talking about how they needed to go back to their parents because it was more stable to get mm-hmm. off the streets because it was no lifestyle for them. And a lot of the the older kids who were better dressed would have encouraged them to come listen to me because it was a free meal. You know, so I was. It sounds like the kid, but they're do, using the drugs for the to mask the hunger. So it sounds like they need help with that, right? With the nutrition. 
of course, yeah. There were there was a whole lot of a whole lot of things that were, were going on. I suppose it was also it also felt good as well at the time. It gave them a high as well. Mm-hmm. So there was there was a bit of a bit of both. But the sanctuary opened up over in Kenya. The church was running that. Um so the two people who went over, one was an occupational therapist, the other one was a builder by trade. So he was he built the church, he built he built like a youth center and he built like a mini, I wouldn't call it a hospital, but a mini clinic. And uh, his wife, the occupational therapist would have worked with another doctor. And as the kids were coming in, they would have got massages, etc. And then the mums and dads of the kids, they would have employed the mums and dads to make like, it was like birthday cards and Christmas cards or whatever. And then the cards would come back over to the UK and be mm-hmm. sold. And then that money would then go back into the sanctuary. Okay, yeah. Wow, that's great. Yeah. So it's the you're help, helping the parents to make income and then which is going to help the kids yeah with hunger and also hopefully with the drug issue as well they have maybe less reason to take the drug the glue the glue. Yeah, Kenya was just that was I was different. It was probably the hardest experience I've ever had mm. in my entire life because I don't know. I feel like you have a view of the world and it's your own view from your own country. You have a view that everything's like red and rosy and you see everything that's going on. And then you go over to somewhere like that and you see the amount of poverty. But one of the things that, that stood out to me is I, I went to a place called, it's called an IDP camp. It was like internally displaced people. And it was a group of people who had been promised land by the government. But in the meantime, they were basically living in plastic bags, mud huts, etc. And I, I went I went to that place to talk to the people and to bring Bibles, etc. And I have never been more ashamed of myself as well because those people were so happy. Mm. You know, that they had so much happiness, but they had nothing. They, nothing at all. But yet they were happy. And that was one of the hardest things, you know, and then taking that back home as well. You know, yeah. you realize that we are extremely blessed to, to come from, yeah. obviously, a Western country. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely. And also, I feel like it. if you realize people are in in that much need that it should really move you to say, Oh, I don't, I don't need this. Instead I can give it to a ministry that is feeding people and giving them the things that they need. Of course is I was listening to, like I said, I was listening to, I think you were speaking at a church. Is that what that was that you were speaking at a church a few weeks ago? Um, maybe get it up on my phone here I can't remember what it was called let me see let's see if I've still got it saved up it was uh, Calvary Chapel oh uh, that would have been a long time ago (laughs) oh was that a long time ago sorry yeah yeah that would have been uh, yeah because that was back in I don't even know what year probably 2000 maybe 13 14 oh wow is that how long ago that was yeah. So I, I listened to that 
Yeah, I believe, unless it was, uh, I did go speak at one in Oregon. Uh, I spoke at my buddy's church in, not Oregon, in uh, Seattle. So if it was Seattle, that was maybe a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago. And then, but if it was the, the one in Colorado, that was a while ago. I don't know. I don't know if it'll tell me if it was the one in Colorado or not. Um, or do you have, is it uh, like YouTube? No, it was just, the, it was just that they obviously had recorded you talking and they released it as a podcast. And they, so it's Calvary Chapel uh, Edmonds. And, okay. That's, you're right. That's, that's like maybe a couple of years ago. So I was listening to that and it was, you, you I think you talked a wee bit about going over to Thailand possibly. And then you also, which I wanted to speak to you about this as well. So was it having a vision or a dream? Yeah, maybe. Oh yeah. 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 I'm trying to think. I mean, I don't remember the podcast, uh, but of course that's my good buddy, Joel. Uh, but yeah, so I don't remember exactly what we talked about though, but for sure. I mean, I've had, I've had both. I've had uh, at least one vision and I've had several dreams where God's spoken to me, but uh, one of the, the first time, no, not the first time, but one of the first times that was like super clear that it was God was right after I retired. And um, I mean, that's why I'm fighting next week. Literally, like I'm 42 years old. Uh, I would be, my family and I are ready to move to Pakistan or wherever God calls us to do ministry. You know, that's, uh, you can see that's my heart is really to do God's work and serve his people and uh, teach the Bible and make disciples and love people and these things. But uh, God clearly called me back to fight after I retired. It was, so I retired 2017. Four months later, on on Easter Day, I fell asleep and had a dream, and I was walking with someone, and he said, he he like points up at the stars and he says, "You remember Abraham's promise?" And I'm thinking, yeah, like the of course the he was promised descendants as the stars. And I said, I said, yes. And his promise was fulfilled. Uh, it was all pointing to a spiritual promise of Jesus, you know, blessing the na- all, all nations would be blessed through his seed that, that uh, his, that we are descendants of Abraham through faith. Right. So these are all spiritual things, spiritual fulfillments of that promise that also was fulfilled that he had so many offspring. And um, so I said, yeah, that I said, but his promise was really a, a spiritual fulfillment because I was thinking about a previous thing that I had when God called me back and I believed he was saying I was going to be a champion and that never happened. So I thought when I retired, I was like, well, maybe I misunderstood it. And so anyway, he's, he's, he said that. And I said, yeah, it's a, it's a spiritual fulfillment. And he said, okay, what about your, 
What about your promise? And I said, you know, I would rather be a spiritual champion than a worldly champion to have worldly success. And he said, okay, now because you've chosen the spiritual, I'm going to give you both. And suddenly, you know, I was still, I still had my eyes closed, but like my mind was wide awake all of a sudden. I was like, wait, who am I talking to? Uh, this doesn't seem like a normal dream. Uh, and uh, so I asked, I said, how do I know this is you and not just a, a dream? Not, how do I know I'm not just making this up? And he said, I'll confirm it. And then I woke up and I was thinking like something was going to happen right then, like, a, you know, that I was going to see something or I don't know. But nothing happened. So I went downstairs, told my wife. And I was like racking my brain to think like, what does that mean? What does it mean? She said, you know, just God is going to show you what it means. You don't have to worry about it. Just just wait. I said, OK, well, then later that week, I went to a prayer meeting at my buddy's, um, my buddy's small group, about an hour away from where we lived. And uh, so I didn't know anyone there except for my buddy and, and one other friend that was there. And uh, three people came up to me during like the worship time. And they came up separately. They didn't hear each other's uh, words to me, but each one of them basically confirmed what God had spoken in the dream. Uh, the, the first guy, literally, he comes up to me. I don't know this guy. And he's like, hey, uh, you know, I was praying and I believe God has a word for you. He said, uh, I, I believe God's saying that uh, he just wants you to keep fighting. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, you're a, you know, you're a warrior. God's your, he's going to, he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. And uh, he's going to train your hands for war and your fingers for battle. Of course, these are Bible verses that he's using, but he's like speaking to me exactly the thing that God was saying that I'm going to be fighting again. And, uh, and, you know, the next guy, it was like a vision that he saw. And the next guy, another life was like a picture that he saw of me fighting and these guys didn't know what wrestling is or like what call I said do you did you see my cauliflower here and they're like no I don't even know what that is <laughs> and they don't watch MMA they don't know anything about it so it was uh it's pretty crazy experience and and uh it's time now so so do you think is it going to be to stay? Is it Titan that you're fighting on? Is that is that the promotion? Mm-hmm. Titan FC. So do you think that you're going to be a champion at Titan, or do you think it goes beyond that? Yeah, I think I think it goes beyond that. I mean, I, I actually I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, he, like I said, God, God, he promised that I would have success, and I mean. In my mind, like that, it's cool to be a Titan champion if you're like trying to go somewhere else and if you're a young guy or whatever. I mean, I wouldn't personally, for a 42 year old, I wouldn't consider that success. So maybe that's what he meant. <laughs> but uh, no, for me, this, 
I mean, I do believe God has this, this as my first step, kind of like a, a step of faith for me. And, uh, you know, it's something that I think actually I, I was thinking that I was following his path and I, I was thinking that I was doing things out of faith, but actually I, I was never ready to fight when even I was offered some decent fights and, uh, I was just like, well, I'm not in the best shape right now, even though I was in really good shape and, and, uh, you know, you never take a fight when you're in best shape. You, you take your fights normal and then you get in shape for the fight. So I was just making excuses. I think I was just, um, still not, not being faithful with what God has spoken. So, uh, this is that first step. Yeah, that's amazing. I think that's, it's very inspiring. And to be honest, I'm sure that you've already heard you that, or saying that there's going to be a whole lot of doubters. Yeah. <laughs> but this, yeah. this, this, this okay. can be a great witness to them people. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think, I don't know. I mean, it's possible that, I mean, if you have doubt, that's one thing, but the, it's, I guess it's like the, the mockers and people who uh, make fun of this faith and things like that. I, I mean, I guess God can change anyone's heart and uh, people do things for different reasons, but a lot of times it seems like those people are just already have rejected God and God haters. Um, but yeah, I guess I, that that's true. Uh, you know, God can change anyone's heart. And also I think there's a lot of people out there that have little faith, but they have like, just a little so they need their faith to be strengthened and and uh definitely seeing people live openly with their faith I, i'm i know that's encouraging because it's encouraging to me when i see people that are very bold with their faith bold with speaking the truth uh that live their lives uh righteously and that they they truly are like followers of jesus so yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I've, I've loved hearing, hearing your story. And there's been a few guys I've had on the podcast who, who have shared their faith. And, you know, that what my prayer is, is that, you know, there's people listening at home who are maybe just listening to this because you fought in the UFC or you fought elsewhere. But what they're hearing is they're hearing the good news. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's so the, the message that never, never gets old. We... <laughs> It's the most important message. That's fantastic. And I'll finish up on a couple of fight questions. You know what? So you obviously you've been in training camp and all. How's that all went? Wait, say that again? You've obviously been in training camp for this fight. How's it all went? You said I've been training in, in oh, camp. Like, like training camp? Training camp or yeah, sorry. Camp. I didn't. <laughs> Belfast uh, accent. <laughs> little accent, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been great. So I... I think I had around eight weeks uh, to train for this fight. Uh, and yeah, and it's been great. Like I, I did uh, <clears throat> basically two, four week blocks, uh, three weeks up, one week down, three weeks up. And now I'm kind of on a down week until the, until the fight. And uh, all of my injuries are uh, 
going away. Like there, there are injuries that I had, you know, kind of accumulated through the year from, I've been training very hard here at Sanford and uh, you know, I got like a hamstring injury, um, but that's almost healed almost completely now. And uh, had a, a couple other little injuries and they're healing up and haven't gotten any new ones. Like I, I think that I, tra- I changed my training schedule a little bit to, to, to make sure that I'm healing and recovering between practices and uh, it's definitely helped. So, and if I can get a prediction from you, how do you think this is going to go? Um, so the guy I'm fighting is more of like a boxing style. He's he's tall, and uh, so if I had to predict, I believe that I'll be able to get him down on the ground at some point and submit him. Uh, but he is a he is scrambly. He's decent on the ground, good at getting up and he has some good, good hands. So I think we're going to see some good exchanges as well. Um, I think he's, he's longer than me, but I, I believe I have more power. So it's going to be a good stand up fight too. So this is next Saturday, uh, Friday, Friday, next Friday. So what I'll do then is I'm going to release the podcast this Monday. Okay. Because I would love people who are listening to this to, to tune in and, and watch it. I think it's on UFC Fight Pass, if I'm That's not right. mistaken. Mm-hmm. So I wish you every success. I'm praying for you. I hope it all goes well. And it's, it's been a really good conversation, mate. You've really encouraged me. Awesome. Thank you, Josh. Not a problem.